Those of you who don't know me, my name's David Gadini, pastor here at Fellowship of Faith, and just glad that you're joining in with us, be it in person today or be it online today. Either way, just glad that you're here, and we are going to be launching into five songs, five songs that, that, that are rooted in the prophet Isaiah, five songs about a servant, a servant of God, a servant who acts on God's behalf, a servant that, 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 that God has breathed upon and is doing something through. And today we come to the first, what is called servant song in Isaiah. And we're going to put it on the screen here for you this morning. But I actually want you to also follow along on your own. We're going to be referencing some things around it that won't be on the screen. So I do encourage you, if you brought a Bible or if you're at home and have it accessible, um, to open up to Isaiah 42. If you have your phone with you, which of course you do, because you always do, right? Open up on your phone to Isaiah 42. If you're saying, I don't know how, well, go to BibleGateway.com or download the version app, Y-O-U version, and then once you have it, it'll be simple after that. But I would like you to come to Isaiah 42 with me this morning. And here's what it says. Starting at verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold. Now Isaiah is writing, but Yahweh is speaking. Hear this from the voice of God himself. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law the islands put their hope. Kind of freeze frame that in your mind. Everything we're going to talk about today revolves around this right here. Kind of freeze that. Keep that at your fingertips. Keep that at the front of your mind. If you're in-house today, we'll even keep it on the screen. If you're at home, keep your Bible open to this. This picture of this servant that Isaiah starts to introduce us to. Now, just before, just before Isaiah begins to write about this servant... He talks about something else, backing up just several verses. And, and what God does just before this is he starts to challenge the idols, all these idols that are out there. He lays down a challenge, and I want you to hear this, okay? Look at what it says. God says, present your case. Present your case, says Yahweh. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Bring in your idols to tell us what is going to happen to tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome, or to declare to us the things to come, tell us what the future holds, so that we may know that you are God's. And then he lays down the smack. He says, do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be filled with dismay or fear. Do anything. God lays it down. 
He lays it down to the idols that are in competition with him, that people are seeking in lieu of him, that people are so attracted to, that they're finding so just tantalizing, that they're, they're warming up to because they just seem to make sense. And Isaiah speaks, and he says to these idols, do something. Do anything. I'm calling you right here. Stand the line, head to head, just do something. Be it good or be it bad. Tell me the past. Explain to me what has gone before us, or tell me the future. Tell me what's to happen, yes, yet, and what its significant is. But I love this line. I love this line. Did you catch it? But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. God is telling these idols, you won't. You won't because you can't. Because you're nothing. And then what God does is he counters. Listen to what he says. I have stirred up one from the north, and he comes. One from the rising sun who calls on my name. He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if he were a potter treading clay. Who told of this from the beginning so we could know? Or beforehand, so we could say, hey, he was right. No one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. I was the first to tell Zion, look, here they are. I gave to Jerusalem a messenger of good tidings. I look, but there is no one. No one among them to give counsel. No one to give answer when I ask them. See, they are all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. God challenges the idols and calls them to the mat and exposes them for things that do nothing because they are nothing. And then he counters. But look at me. Look at what I have done. I'm the one who orchestrated history. I'm the one who called one, did you catch it, from the north, Cyrus, from the north, to come down, to liberate and save. I'm the one before that, that called one from the north, Abraham, who came down from the north to be a people in this land. I am the one who has orchestrated things, and I have been the one to tell you what they mean. And I am the one who can tell you what's to come. For Yahweh, he's giving evidence that, in fact, he is one who is able, powerful, efficacious. He is one that, counter all the other blustering voices in this world, can actually do something. It's evidence that he's holding out to Israel. Evidence that he is God. The one who has done in the past, the one who has done things and is doing things in the future, he alone is able, he alone is God. Which brings us to the servant. Because now, what we see is that this servant that he begins to mention carries out what Yahweh ordains. That in other words, the way God is going to work in the future is through this one that he has chosen and ordains. And let's just kind of pick this part a little bit. 
and just try to get a sense of who this servant is. First, he is one that God upholds. And that's a powerful thing, isn't it, when God upholds you? You've had the moments when it feels like there is nothing under your feet. And you're kind of free-floating, and I don't mean in a good way. I don't mean like, oh, man, I'm so free. No, I mean the uncertainty. When it doesn't feel like there's solid ground underneath you, and you live your life with a certain degree of unpredictability, with uncertainty, and the concomitant worry or fear that that can often come, you know what I mean. But here is one whom God upholds, a chosen one one whom God delights in. Wouldn't you love to hear those words from God? I delight in you. We don't really talk that way, do we? Do you go to that special someone in your life and go, hey, I just want you to know, I delight in you. It's not really a way we speak, but, but wouldn't that be kind of cool? For someone to just look you in the eye and go, I delight in you to be delighted in, to be delighted in by anyone has got to make you feel good. But what about when God says, I delight in you. Here is my servant, one I uphold, one I have chosen, one I delight in. And the fact that I have breathed on him makes all the difference. Because he will be the one to carry out what I ordain. He will be the one to continue my rescue project of a fallen world and humanity. He will be the one to rescue my people, Israel. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets, a bruised reed he will not break. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Not in anger, not in power politics, but with the goodness of God, bringing that which is right to people of the world. And this last line, don't miss it, in his law, in his way, his principle. Do you, do you follow the meaning? In his way, not just Israel, but the islands, the nations, those from the farthest outer reaches, countries and territories that in Isaiah's name had, had not yet been named. Even they will put their hope because Yahweh is on the move. Unlike the idols, Yahweh is doing something and he's able to and he's carrying it out through his servant. Now, I think about this and it strikes me there's two kinds of people in the world. those who falter and those who don't. Those who break and those who don't. Those who flicker, those who don't. 
two people can go to prison. One person, it absolutely destroys them as a human being. Another person, they come out wiser, stronger, more able. Two kinds of people, do you see what I mean? I've always been mesmerized by the story of concentration camp survivors in World War II. The atrocities and just the horror. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I've seen Schindler's List. I've read Night. You know, I, I've done all the stuff, but I can't even imagine what it had to be like to live in those conditions. And for so many, and, when, and just to be clear, I'm talking those who survived. For so many who came out alive, the, the experience destroyed them. But counter that, I think of people like Corey Ten Boom and others who experience this, and they come out how stronger two soldiers go to war. And one comes face to face with the horrors of what war actually is, and it ruins their life. Another comes out unbroken. Two people get abused or even raped. And one, their life is absolutely crushed and devastated, and another with some strange kind of resiliency is not. There are those who flicker and those who don't. And the servant is the latter. He is one who comes on behalf of those who flicker, those who are crushed, those who are broken, those who are destroyed. He comes on behalf of them, yet as one unaffected by their weakness. It says a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Good news for the peoples of this world. Groaning as Israel did at the way the world is around them. And so Jesus comes, we see, declaring the way of God and bringing his freedom. Let me share with you this morning this passage from Matthew. Likewise, this too will be on the screen, at least in part. But if you're following along, you can key in with me at Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to pick up at verse 9. It's two stories, two stories of Jesus being challenged. Jesus being challenged by the religious establishment, the people of God who caretaked the ways of God in their day. And they see Jesus acting and they challenge him. Let me read you one of the stories. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, what are you going to do? 
Aren't you going to take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and was completely restored. It was just as sound as the other. Because Yahweh is able. When Yahweh acts, things happen. There are those who talk and those who do. And Yahweh is the latter. But look at the response. Look at the response. Imagine, you see a miracle like that. Imagine right now, we had someone here who couldn't walk. Their knee is blown out. Their ankle is blown out. They have some kind of debilitating disease. Their hand is deformed. And we, we pray for them together as a body. We lay our hands on them. We pray over them and go, Yahweh, heal this man. Heal this woman. And before our eyes, I don't mean like three weeks later it gets better. I mean like right here, right now, we watch the hand get restored. What would you do? First, you'd just be like, you know, right? (laughs) But how would you fundamentally respond? I want to challenge you. I think we all know how we might respond, but maybe it isn't as clear-cut as we would think because look at how they responded to the power of God that day. But the Pharisees, it says, went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Would that be your natural response? Kill him. This healer, kill him. Is that what would you do? What you would do? Well, let me frame it a little differently. Have you ever sought to tear someone down who is doing good or finding success because they're not of you? And the Pharisees raise up and they want to kill Jesus. And what strikes me as amazing in this passage is the very next verse. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him. And he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. He had the evidence in the bag. I don't know about you, but I know me. I healed some brother with a shriveled hand. I'm telling everyone, yeah, look at that baby. You you know what I mean? Anyone comes up against me, anyone comes and tries to challenge me in your face. I mean, even getting away from the ego side of things. Just the very evidence, the very proof that you would be able to bring some to help those people that are skeptical, to help those people that always have an excuse, to help those people see who who resist God, but you love them and you want them to know God. I mean, wouldn't you use something like this to show them what the way of God really brings? But Jesus withdrew. He doesn't fight back. And look at what Matthew writes next. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. 
no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed. He will not break. Not even a Pharisee. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Not even a Pharisee. Till he leads justice to victory. And in his name the nations will put their hope. People today, people today want to be heard. Tweet or die. Get the attention on me. All about my voice, my opinion, my thoughts, blustering about, about the way that I think it should be, not the servant. No, not the servant. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. The paradox of the almighty and powerful God who alone over all idols is able and yet does his work with gentleness and respect without an ostentatiousness but with humility in a way that can be rejected or even missed. Jesus is God's servant. Israel was meant to be God's servant. But the people of God always show themselves unable to the task. And so God chose one among them. You could say one who even embodies Israel itself. Chooses one to carry out what he alone is able to do on behalf of Israel and the nations and on behalf of you. Jesus is that servant and in him. He renews that servant calling both for me and for you. Five songs Isaiah will sing. Five songs Isaiah will write about a servant of God who he sends on his behalf to do his work for Israel, for the nations, for you. This is Isaiah 42. We're going to sing a song called Stars. And there's a line in this song that I just want to, to share with you because as I think about Isaiah and, and, and what he says about this servant and the aftermath to come, that this line, I, I can't shake it. You know what I mean? Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you stand up with me? Because it's better to stand and sing. Would you agree? Well, don't answer that. I don't care. <laughs> but let me read the line. Holy. You're set apart. There is no one like you who has done what you've done in my heart. Perfect in all your ways, and you cover me up with your grace, erasing all my mistakes. And later, Spirit, come and speak. I'm listening right now. 
God had breathed upon his spirit. God had breathed his spirit upon his servant. And a servant went forth in his name. That servant brings his spirit to you. Let those words churn in you and be a call to God for you while we sing.
This is out of 2 Corinthians 13. It's verse 5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Let's just pause there for a moment. Look at it again. And actually take it at face value of what it says. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Just in case you missed it. Test yourself. Test yourself. I love how the message translation puts this. Let me read its version to you. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. And if you fail the test, do something about it. There's three kinds of people, I think you can say. There are those who ignore what God has to say. There are those who listen to what God has to say. And there are those who do what God has to say. And I hope you'll be the latter. Which means he wants you to test yourself. Examine yourself. And as the message puts it, if you fail the test, well, to act on it to let it be exactly what a test is supposed to be. A way to show you where you are growing but where you are weak. Where you are thriving and where you are not. And to build on those areas where, where, where God is growing in you mightily but to address those areas that maybe you have denied, ignored, taken for granted or drifted along on, we all do it. I promise you that you do. I do as well. Now here at Fellowship of Faith, we have a passage of the Bible that we use as a vision statement of what we believe discipleship with Jesus looks like in the FOF context. And it's from Acts 2, 42. 
And I want you to read this with me. Read along where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In a way, we have a template, a blueprint, a picture, if you will, of God's desire for his church, which means, of course, God's desire for you. A way to evaluate ourselves, to look at ourselves, to, to test ourselves, to see how these things are developing in our selves. And each week through Lent, we're going to take you through an exercise of self-evaluation, spiritually. Later this afternoon, an email will go out describing how to do this on your own more fully. But I want you to taste and sample each morning as we gather together of what this means. We've taken this, this call and broken it into sections. And, and one that I'd like to emphasize with you today is reconnecting with Christ's body. Look in there. Look in there at how much language puts an emphasis on believers coming together, devoting to what is together, to experiencing a relationship with God together, to seeing their connection to Jesus, not as a solitary act, not as an independent, autonomous thing, which we so love, but a communal thing. Because that, I'm sorry, is the way of God. Whether we like it or not, look at how much, much is focused on connecting with Christ's body together. Now, we're going to commune today. And as part of that process, Paul, elsewhere in Corinthians, will invite the believers to examine themselves. And so often, I think when we gather to do this, well, if we do it at all, it's in the most basic and simplest of ways. Simply going, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, so I'm sorry, forgive me, and then we come up and get our, get our hit. It devalues it a bit, don't you think? when God invites us into something so much deeper, so much more sincere. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. And let's put Acts 2 back on the screen. I'm going to ask you a series of questions as a way to examine yourself along these lines today. Hey, can I encourage you? As I ask you these, be honest about it. It does little good in this world to lie about yourself, especially before God. If this helps, God knows already. I mean, I know you're good, but you're not going to fool him, right? Be candid about how you square up 
with some of what I'm about to ask. If it helps, close your eyes. You don't have to. But certainly give yourself that, that space to just be with God and yourself. And let me ask you, do you feel connected to others at FOF? Do you feel connected to others here? Or is it more of a place that you just come or tune into as an anonymous face among an anonymous group because you like the music or the preaching or the coffee? Do you feel connected to others at FOF? Let me ask you. Do you connect with the body at least three times a month? Do you come in person or live stream at least three times a month or is it far less regular than that? Let me ask you. Do you, regularly, do you regularly connect with people in a discipleship group or in some other small spiritual gathering? Be it in your home or theirs, on Zoom, at church, elsewhere. Not on Sunday morning, but outside of that, do you regularly connect with others at FOF in smaller spiritual gatherings? Let me ask you. Do you regularly connect with others from FOF outside of Sunday morning? The Acts 2 community met daily in the temple courts, and then they broke bread in their homes. And it seems that they were happy about it. Do you? Do you gather for just the joy and companionship with others from FOF outside of Sunday morning, or don't you? And finally, let me ask, how many relationships have you formed with someone new at FOF in the past year? Kind of a hard one in a COVID year. And yet, how many relationships have you formed with someone new in the past year? 20? 10? Five, one, any, be honest with yourself and how you are connecting with Christ's body.
Now here's the spirit of it. I suspect that on some of the questions, many of us, many of us found that we could answer yes. If that's the case, rejoice in that. Celebrate in that. Don't put on some false air of humility or try to downplay it or, or dismiss it because you're afraid of some kind of spiritual pride or, or, or all these kinds of goofy ways we distort the good gifts of God. No, celebrate in what God is doing in your life in that arena. Celebrate it and share it and revel in it and continue it. But I also suspect in some of the questions I've asked that the answer was no. Or in the open-ended question, open questions that it was minimal. Hey, I want you to hear this loud and clear. If that's the case, it's okay. It's okay. And do you know why it's okay? Because with God, it's okay to not be okay. We don't have to pretend with God that it's all okay and that we're okay when it's not okay and when we fail the test. But God says it's not okay to stay that way. So as the message translation puts it, do something about it. And so the challenge this Lent is this. Take one of those no's or one of those low or absent numbers and flip it to a yes. Again, how does the message put it? Test yourselves to make sure that you are solid in the faith. Test it out, and if you fail the test, do something about it. How you respond is the difference between the three kinds of people that you prove yourself to be. One who ignores what God has to say, one who listens to what God has to say, or one who does what God has to say. In this Lent, we want to invite you. God, I could say, invites you to the latter. So let's commune. Let's pray. And now that we've examined ourselves, let's come to him in an open, honest way, asking for real life change in our lives.